0: ready roll? ready roll. ready roll? ready ready roll? Purple, get ready to roll Indeed, this is the College and Kimball podcast. I am Jeff Burkhart, joined by my man Justin Nutter getting set to look at the Big 12 Championship game. It is here. We are here. Your cats are here. Cannot believe it the way that this season started at 2 and 1 Nutter. Uh, and with that performance against Tulane, uh, just not to, not to revisit a sore subject, but man, I think we, and (laughs) it's speaking for other K-State fans, but I think everybody to a person was questioning whether or not we even had a bowl team after that Tulane game.
1: Yeah, it's certainly funny to look back at how kind of the outlook of the season and then how quickly it, you know, turned on a dime again the following week in Norman. But yeah, I mean, uh. Not only the outlook, but just you know the makeup of the team and just how how much different this team looks now compared to what it looked like in September. You know, frankly, even into mid October with with Martinez still you know running the offense, um, it's uh, definitely been a fun ride all the way around. You know, some some lows we weren't necessarily expecting, but you know I know that Arlington was a real goal for this team uh, opening the season. So, I guess it doesn't really matter how you got here. Uh, fact of the matter is, you you punched your ticket and you've got a chance to to play for that, you know, just the third big 12 championship the school's ever had. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a fun ride. Um, I will say, you know, going into last week, uh, securing that bid to Arlington, I think that's the most nervous I've been about a KU game since, since Bill Snyder, you know, returned to the sideline, probably that first game back for, or that first KU game back for him. Um, I definitely don't feel like the stakes have been higher at any point since then. So it was nice to, you know, can't really say make quick work of them because they definitely hung around, you know, that's, that's, I mean, easily KU's best team in you know, well over a decade. And, you know, I think they, they put themselves in a bit of a hole with that muff punt early in the game and probably gave K-State a little bit, a little bit too much life early on, but it was nice to see K-State kind of gradually pull away and, you know, end up securing a pretty comfortable victory. So um, yeah, uh, you know, everything's kind of on the table now. It's, it's funny that, you know, K-State doesn't necessarily have anything to lose in this game. For whatever reason, I think that's make me uh, the least nervous about a game of this caliber that I've probably ever been in my life. Um, you know, the fact that we know where we're headed in terms of a bowl, uh bowl destination uh, and TCU, on the other hand, has every single thing to play for. Um, I'm ready to line up and get it done. I mean, I again feel like there's nothing to lose, but everything to gain here.
0: And. You bring up so many things, and I, I totally agree with you. That first uh, Bill Snyder's first game back in 09 was honestly the most comparable Sunflower Showdown that I could think of here in, in I say, recent memory. That's 13 years ago. You know, we're, we're here dating ourselves a little bit, but that that was obviously huge, and and, and started this this streak, which now sits at 14 games, and and it always feels great to beat KU, and I think the stakes certainly made that victory that much more gratifying i know i i speaking to the to the stress side of it i going into the game last week and maybe it was you got the holiday you got a, a weird week you got you know there, there was that confirmed uh i won't say rumor but hearing about will howard being a little under the weather you had so many different things and and just knowing the stakes, you you win and you go, you lose, and all of a sudden you are out of the Big 12 Championship. You're probably going to, I I, I dare say, maybe back to Memphis for the Liberty Bowl. It could be the Texas Bowl. I, I it would just all depend on the pecking order there because KU might look a little bit more attractive. I, it, it, so much could have gone wrong if you lost that game, but it's it's obviously all in the rear view. You got a 20 point victory over your rival, and, and to your other point about. This week, and I put the 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 question out there to our listeners on the college underscore uh, Kimball Twitter account, and sixty one percent of you are are feeling much like we are here. Lucy Goosey, this is this is as low a stress a, a conference championship matchup I can recall. Now, granted, I'm I'm thinking about this through the lens of my thirteen year old self, my sixteen year old self. I remember I was very jacked for that two thousand rematch against Oklahoma, and I remember seeing like, and I remember day of, I went to, um, uh, I'm a, obviously a Joe, a Joe kid. And I went to the mall and I remember the shirts at, um, at Ace sports, uh, like some really cliche saying like payback coming sooner than expected or something along those lines. And I was like, yes, we're going to get it. I did not buy the shirts. And, uh, thankfully so, because it would have been very funny to wearing that sporting that one, losing two games to the Sooners in the same season. Um, the 20 uh, honestly i think it's not a stretch to say this is similar to the oh three game in that you have an undefeated team on the other end of the matchup uh as far as bowl stakes go the 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 oh three team would have likely been going to the cotton bowl had it lost and i think we all know uh, by all accounts it's the sugar bowl this this time around so i think it's pretty safe to say this is a akin to that one in a a number of different respects. Now, I guess the
1: difference being uh, this TCU team has not been anointed the best team in the history of American sports. Yes, (laughs) that that 03 Oklahoma team was pretty well considered uh, untouchable by every possible metric and actually still managed to back into the national championship game despite being pretty well waxed by k-state uh that night at arrowhead so uh that would be the one discernible difference i can think of but yeah in terms of what's on the line for k-state i think you're pretty well spot on
0: yeah that oklahoma team compared <laughs> comparatively uh it-, it murdered everything it came up against it averaged uh Almost forty-three points per game, third nationally in that department. It just obliterated the Big Twelve that year, and, and I everybody,
1: believe they beat AM 77 to nothing that year. Mm-hmm.
0: There, yeah. there, there, was nary a, a, a competitive Big Twelve game to be found on on their record that season. And and comes old K State, and we, have, and as we all know, K State had lost three games that season. I think, if memory serves, the Marshall game was by seven. The Texas game was by four, and I'm pretty sure Oklahoma State was by four. So you have three losses by a combined 15 points there. Quick math. Hopefully I did that right. Uh, but this, yeah, this TCU team, a, a much different animal in, in the sense that it has skated by in, in a number of different contests. Obviously, t- Baylor took them to the wire, could have very easily lost that game. Oklahoma State gagged a 17-point lead in fourth. Fort Worth. K-State gagged an 18-point lead. There were a number of contests that the Frogs were very fortunate to come out on top of. And frankly, though, I think that that gives you reason to believe if you're a K-State fan, you're not going into this one feeling drastically overmatched. I, I don't get that sense at all. I feel like this team feels like it does very much belong on the same field with TCU. And, and honestly, as well, looking at some of the, and I wanted to touch briefly before we dive too deep uh, into the game here, looking at some of the accolades that K-State received this year relative to the rest of the conference, relative to TCU as well. I, I think it, it, it bears it out. This, this was one of the better groups uh, that's been assembled, one of the better rosters that's been assembled in, in recent memory as far as K-State goes. Uh, you have Defensive Player of the Year, King Felix, uh, led the conference in sacks this year. He was also named a finalist for the Lot Impact Trophy. Um, and, and honestly, it, it's un- unfortunate, but I, I feel like he, his number should be bigger. We, we talk about it week in and week out. This dude gets, hold, uh, gets, hold, gets held seemingly every play, does not get the benefit of the doubt from officiating, yet he still commands so much attention. It's great to see King Felix earn that award.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I was admittedly, I was a little nervous that we might see a little bit of regression just in, in the fact that, you know, he, you think back to, you know, ironically that TCU game last year where he, uh, you know, had the six sacks and it had a couple of taken away from him because of maybe the worst technicality I've ever heard. The fact that the sacks ended up resulting in fumbles, um, you know, you didn't see a lot from him statistically the rest of that season for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, and that he was double teamed and held and suplexed and wrestled to the ground and, you know, broken every rule in the book to get that guy away from your quarterback. Um, but, you know, this, and again, statistically, he got his sacks this year, but he was also able to just disrupt so many plays that didn't necessarily show up in the box score. But yeah, every, every bit deserved. And I mean, that dude is going to be making a lot of money here pretty quick.
0: Very well-deserved distinction for King Felix, and he actually, strangely enough, finished third on the team in terms of Havoc plays this year, uh, again, in the, the pass rush, which we'll talk about here in a little bit when we get into this game preview, hasn't really been the kind of factor, at least from a statistical standpoint, that we've wanted to see here in recent weeks, but... uh We'll talk about that in more detail in short order. A uh, couple more uh, awards to mention. You obviously have uh, Cooper Beebe being named the Big 12 Offensive Lineman of the Year. Again, another guy who's going to be making a lot of money here in pretty short order. Uh, the first team selections look like this. Cooper Beebe on offense uh, for K-State. Ben Sennett as fullback. Uh, really Unique. I feel like they kind of carved that role out for him, but honestly, like because so few teams even use fullbacks anymore. But I think his contributions, just in terms of what he's done in the in the passing game, cannot go understated. So good to see him get that recognition there. We mentioned King Felix, obviously your defensive player of the year in the conference, is going to be named first team on the defensive side, and Julius Prince. Uh, I've man for the longest time, I've I've always been longing and wondered for uh, and wondered why you know we there's so many wide receivers out here who are 62 63 whatever why, why can't we just find somebody of that size to be a defensive back and, and lo and behold uh they get this transfer from Iowa who has just been a monster this year a uh, very very again deserving of that distinction um what what did you think though and just because I feel like I have to touch on this everybody Talk so much more about his counterpart, Echo Boido. Uh, he only is named honorable mention here. Do you feel that's a slight on, on the part of the the coaches and their selections? Uh, I just don't know if Echo really had the numbers to back it up when you've got so many other corners that are getting interceptions, they're being thrown to a lot more and everything in between. You know,
1: and Echo's been a curious case basically his whole career, because that's the thing is you just never hear his name, which, you know, is a net win you would think is a defensive back because you're, you're either hearing your name for one of two reasons. You either made a great play or you got burned. And I don't know if it's that just, you know, teams were shying away from him that much. I mean, you know, obviously I don't know receiver success rate. Like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like you just never really seem to get him torched over the top too often. And, uh, but by that same token, like you just mentioned, you know, he never, I don't believe he, he, he finished the regular season and so far his career without an interception. So you know, I think, unfortunately, that's probably what kept him from uh, from maybe receiving, you know, a little bit higher accolade as far as conference awards go. But, I mean, he's obviously been a really, really solid piece in that secondary, um, you know, hell for three seasons at this point.
0: And uh, another member of the K-State secondary, though, that does get recognized, uh, Kobe Savage, named to the second team. And that was with him missing what amounted to being three full games coming down the home stretch and he was still one of the top tacklers on this roster for K state this season. And man, that that's one thing that makes me a little nervous heading into this matchup, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that here shortly. Um, other second teamers for K state, as strange as it may sound, Deuce Vaughn for, for everything that he has done. Um, but in the same breath, I, I get it. Uh, you, you can't not have Bijan as, First team, all big 12 at running back and, and the season that Kendra Miller had, he just popped a little bit more. And, and I think that's a, that's a little wrinkle a little storyline that you can talk about and focus on going into this matchup, the battle between maybe a guy who feels a little slighted in Deuce Vaughn. He doesn't strike me as the type that really needs bulletin board material, but I, I think that's an interesting little wrinkle in this one. Um, other second team selections for the all conference team, Malik Knowles at wide receiver, so great. So happy for him to really come through with the season. I, I mean, honestly, this is what we've wanted from him from day one and we'll, what we all knew he was capable of.
1: Yeah. You know, he's definitely a guy that he like you just mentioned, he's kind of been a what if player for, you know, really three plus seasons. You know, that, that, that was one of the first guys, I believe his his true freshman year was the first year of the four year uh, four game redshirt rule. Correct. And I I recall them, you know, intentionally sitting him out in the finale that year to preserve that red shirt. And, you know, we're not having this discussion right now if they didn't think highly enough of him back then to do that. So, um, like you said, you know, it's it's nice to see him be able to stay on the field for an entire season because I know that in and of itself has been a challenge for him. But, I mean, yeah, you know, with kind of the, I can't even say the resurgence, kind of the emergence of the passing game, you know, with Will Howard at the helm, it's, it's really been pretty awesome to see Malik. Flourish like he has, you know, I know. And then, you know, also make himself dangerous in other ways too. Obviously he's always a kick return, kick return threat. He damn near broke one against KU on Saturday. Um, You know, that, that end around has become basically an automatic touchdown. It's kind of (laughs) funny. He was scoring it twice in the finale. That was K-State's literal first play from scrimmage this season was that same end around that he took what, 75 yards to the house or whatever. So, I mean, the man is crazy dangerous in the open field and he's, I mean, they, they found a way to make him, Available to do that in many different ways, so yeah, obviously thrilled for him to be able to really, you know, really go out on a high note, and maybe, you know, maybe even get the uh, get a little more attention from uh, from some NFL scouts as he's wrapping this up.
0: I, I don't think you can overlook his his elusive ability. Just looking at his frame, that that's probably what sh- makes some scouts maybe shy away. The fact that he's a little lean but in the same breath he's dangerous with the ball in the open field and again he can he can break a kick at any moment i know a lot of people have uh already been calling for that this week he's been so close here these last couple of weeks he's due for one that is for sure but he ends this season uh with uh career high not surprisingly in terms of catches with 46 679 yards almost 15 yards per reception only two receiving touchdowns that should have been Five. Five, I was going to say all those plays where he was tackled right at the goal line or had the knee down before the ball broke the plane. So close to having, uh, uh, honestly, five five or six touchdowns and, and then the three rushing touchdowns. He maybe gets bumped up a little bit higher, but second team, again, thrilled for him there. And then a total of 793 yards from scrimmage with the runs factored in. And then if you look at his kick return yardage as well, can't ne- neglect that. He averages 26 yards per return this season. So a very dynamic weapon, a, a great uh, swan song for him uh he does have uh, i suppose the uh the sixth year of covid eligibility if he does want to make a, another go with it but i uh i doubt we'll see malik for one more season i would i would love nothing more than for him to come back but we'll have to see what happens on that front but uh again those are your conf- all conference selections uh on that front um and, and the honorable mentions that I, I i haven't gone through here uh Echo Boydo, I mentioned that defensive back. Phillip Brooks for special teams player of the year. Uh, DJ Giddens for offensive freshman of the year. Hayden Gillum on the offensive line, Daniel Green, Eli Huggins, KT Leviston, Adrian Martinez uh, for Big 12 Offensive Newcomer of the Year. Austin Moore, as Honorable mentioned, that one was a bit of a surprise to me. I thought he might have gotten a, a nod on the second team at least, but a bit of a surprise to see him down there. And then Kobe Savage for Defensive Newcomer of the Year and Deuce Vaughn for Offensive Player of the Year. But those are your all Big 12 selections for Kansas State. Again, a star-studded group. And honestly, from a macro level, again, I, I don't think it could be understated or overstated, rather. Uh, it, it's hard to do this, and it's hard to build and construct a roster. And there are so many schools with coaches in their fourth and fifth year, if they even make it to a fifth year that are nowhere near this level, but it's, it's so refreshing to see what Kleiman's approach has netted in terms of player culture. and, And obviously they've been going out as a staff and identifying not just guys that are perhaps overlooked, but they're, they're finding guys that actually are, are talented. They're putting in the time and the effort in recruiting and this is why we see what we have right now a team that's nine and three and on the cusp of a big 12 championship it's 60 minutes away this coming Saturday and it's all out there in front of this group and um as far as the game against TCU goes let's go ahead and dive into this one we all know the horn frogs are coming into this one at 12 and0 they're ranked number three in the college football playoff rankings um I know we we don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about the horned frogs in in this matchup, but I think they're in a predicament here in that I feel the committee is going to do everything in its power. If TCU were to lose to bump them out of the top four, is it safe to say?
1: I mean, you know, unfortunately as much as you want to play the name brand game, you know, I know we were just talking about it before we started recording here. You got, USC playing Friday night, which I mean, credit to you for pointing that out. You know, you get USC playing Friday night. That is a, a name program that, like you said, the committee will do everything in its power to get into that top four. So they go out and take care of Utah like they probably should. Yes. TCU is that much more in the crosshairs of the committee. And, uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but outside of Oklahoma and maybe Texas, if they ever get quote unquote back, um, you, don't th- you can't imagine any other Big 12 program is going to get the benefit of the doubt. And it's unfortunate because, you know, it seems so many times your Alabama's, your Ohio State, so on and so forth, get that benefit of the doubt where they're almost afforded a loss regardless of who it's to, when it is in the season, so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's programs like TCU, uh, I think un- going undefeated is your only surefire way to guarantee uh, your place at that table, at least until the playoff expands.
0: And to that point, I think it just kind of augments what we've already said about K-State being able to come in, play this thing free and loose. They they really have nothing to lose as far as bowl jockeying goes. They are uh, all but guaranteed the Sugar Bowl as far as that goes. And TCU, it's it's a little bit different proposition, and and it's it's hard to get to this stage. It's hard to go through the regular season undefeated, and TCU. Has somehow, some way, managed to navigate all the landmines on their schedule and, and and dig themselves out of three score holes like it's nobody's business. But I, I think they're they're in a position if they see Utah, or ex, excuse me, if they see USC, rather go and just hammer Utah. I think that kind of reinforces the notion. Hey, man, the pressure's on because we can't afford to drop this game if we want to make the playoff. So I think that's going to be an interesting element of this, uh, this matchup to watch. We all know this is a rematch. Obviously this is a uh, unique in that sense. We haven't had an in-season rematch of two teams uh, in Kansas state history, uh, going back at least to the 2000 big 12 championship game aforementioned Uh that year, K-State hosted Oklahoma when the Wildcats were ranked number two in the country, ended up losing that game by 10. The Sooners uh, ultimately took over the number one spot in the polls later on that year after knocking off the aforementioned Wildcats, then later upsetting Nebraska when they were number one. Oklahoma has a touch season. They are number one going into the Big 12 championship game against our Wildcats, and they end up taking care of K-State 27-24 in that matchup. Again, much different circumstances this time around. and. I I'm interested to hear your, your thoughts just in terms of the rematch. What, what do you, I guess we kind of have to look at this through the lens of a pro football fan. uh, Very appropriate that you've got your chiefs gear on then, but, but what, what do you always look at when, if it's the chiefs going back up against the bills and the playoffs or the Bengals or whoever it may be, what, what are the things that you're looking at in terms of a nuanced game plan? What are you hoping to see from, from the cats this coming Saturday on that front?
1: You know, I don't know how much stock I really put into the whole rematch aspect of it. You know, I know there's always kind of that notion that it's really hard to beat a team twice or, you know, in the NFL, it'd be three times potentially. Um, I will say I was actually just looking it up. Um, I believe so. The Big 12 championship in in its current format has been played five times. And I believe the regular season loser has won the rematch three of those times including three of the last four. So i mean, odds
0: in our favor. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I was going to say history kind of favors K-State in that regard. Um, you know, I don't know how much stock you can really put into a rematch, especially knowing how weird that game was for K-State the first time. And, uh, that was kind of the, you know, the, the rise of Will Howard in that game to that point, we'd really, I don't even believe he'd played a snap to that point because I think they had been using Rubley and mop up duty, uh, because at that point, you know, everyone was thinking about preserving Howard's uh, red shirt. So, you know, Howard has to come in early in that one. And, you know, I think everyone that you, myself included, there was kind of that collective groan from K-State fans going like, Oh God, here we go again. And then he comes out and just blows the top off of everything. So, you know, they got TCU, I don't think was ready for it. Um, But then there were also some key injuries on defense that, you know, guys that we're going to have back for this game, like Daniel green ended up missing a good chunk of the game. Uh, Julius Brents went out for a while.
0: Um, a couple of guys, just a couple snaps on offense too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, I believe we had a targeting call on somebody. It's escaping me who it was. Now. Uh, Khalid
0: but, Duke. Uh, yeah, he got knocked or He was disqualified at the end of that game. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you know, there were just some weird things, some personnel issues that, you know, K-State isn't necessarily going to have. And by that same token, you know, K-State had uh Savage and Mason back there at safety. So it's like, You know, the defense especially is going to be a completely different look. You've got a much more entrenched Will Howard at this point. So you got to think in that regard, it probably benefits K-State. On the flip side, though, you know, TCU, uh, like you mentioned earlier, had years taken off of their life uh, in Waco a few weeks ago, where they had to literally, like, hockey line change, scramble their field goal unit onto the field after, in my opinion, inexplicably running the ball with time running out uh, a snap before. Um, so, you know, to see them survive that, that near loss and then go out and absolutely stick it to an Iowa state team that has been known to jump up and bite people, you know, late in the season, um, you got to think they're firing all cylinders as well. So, you know, I don't know how much stock you can put into that first meeting, just how much changed, uh, how much has changed since then. But yeah, and and my gut reaction is like, it it favors K-State at least a little bit.
0: So many weird anomalies in this one, and you, you talked about like the defense looking different on so many different fronts. You you lost Daniel Green early on in that contest. You lost Khalid Duke after the the game was pretty well uh, decided there at the end. So you had personnel missing on the defensive side. You had this wildly unpredictable performance <laughs> from the offense in the sense of Will Howard coming in. Averaging better than 11 yards per attempt in that game, just dropping bombs all over this TCU defense. Hit six play or six pass plays of over 20 yards, and just spread the ball around. And should have had another one, if you'll recall that uh, near miss touchdown to Cade Warner, just barely off his fingertips late stages in the game. You also had the the special teams element too. Chris Tennant was still kicking. He and he. pushed one early on in that contest there there's just a lot and this team this K-State team looks dramatically different uh, TCU somehow some way it's just really been again just they're they're unconscious they they have not suffered a great deal of of injuries uh, with the exception of obviously Chandler Morris the quarterback uh, giving way to Max Duggan uh, again it's been this is really a, a matchup of of Reclamation and and redemption stories and and everything in between with him coming in, throwing for 29 touchdowns and three interceptions and and leading TCU to this perfect season thus far. And then Will Howard, as we already know, uh, again, a kid we all frankly thought was going to to just, just be a program piece, a, a depth piece who would ultimately be giving way to to Avery Johnson next season, and, and all of a sudden, we're just like, okay, well, we're pretty well set at quarterback here for the foreseeable future, so let's ride with this. So this is... Uh, This matchup is very, very intriguing. And just looking at the box scores, a couple of things that popped at me here. TCU, again, was able to exploit the fact that K-State was down a couple of its linebackers, and they really leaned on the Wildcats in the running game in this one, uh, rushing for 215 yards. They took 56 carries to do it but they still were able to wear down this K-State defense. And in particular, on the money downs, they were 10 of 19 on third down in that first matchup and also converted two of their four fourth down attempts. Uh, K-State on the flip side struggled in the money downs, three of nine on third and one of two on fourth down. But uh, the Wildcats also ran uh, 29 fewer plays in this ball game. This was one of those weird things where the way that that – second quarter was unfolding you kind of in the back of your mind like are, are we scoring too quickly is this a problem and lo and behold TCU just the way that they they were able to lean and just stick with the running game that that did end up wearing down that wildcat defense by the by the fourth quarter and k state after having relinquished that lead just was not able to climb out of that hole unfortunately but i'm very excited to see what this matchup is going to look like in the 2.0 version here um We all know the book on TCU, and just very quickly here, they've been the highest-scoring offense in the Big 12, and they they average a Big 12 best 473 yards per game. They score it better than any other team in the conference, 41.3 points per game. Now, Nutter, you did mention, though, that's not too far off from where K-State is, at least under the direction of Will Howard.
1: Yeah, I know you'd never believe it. You know, this same team that farted out 10 points against Tulane earlier in the year. Credit to Tulane, that ended up being a damn good team. But um, yeah, this team is now suddenly 34th nationally uh, in uh, points per game at a little bit better than 33 per. And if you go back to when Howard took over in Fort Worth, take away the Texas game because he didn't play. If you look at the games where he has played meaningful snaps, uh, K-State's offense has averaged 39 a game with Will Howard at the helm. And that would be good over the course of the season for 11th in the country and that just baffles me to think about you know with this defensive oriented as this team was early in the year and you know really struggling to move the ball or put up points it just kind of blows me away and like I said really kind of throws out the window anything about that first meeting because this offense is a completely different animal than what than what TCU would have faced that first time.
0: I and to me like the the thing that's so amazing is We've made passing look like the toughest thing in the world, not just during the climate era, and, and that's not to knock Skylar Thompson, but we we made getting 12 yards look like it's impossible. And we see these air raid teams, these these hurry up, no huddle teams and all these variations of spread just be able to play pitch and catch and get chunk plays like it's nobody's business. And, and just it's one of those things where K-State struggled so, so dramatically to make those types of plays happen. And and that's honestly when I look at this too, passing explosiveness going into this game. K-State was 129th. Yeah, that was after they had just popped those two big pass plays against the Cyclones the week before. Now K-State is 41st in passing explosiveness, a jump of almost, and they were last in FBS for the longest time, a jump of 90 spots in that stat. It's just crazy where this team has come as far as that is concerned. And uh, TCU, though you got to give credit where credits due just to talk about their offense just a little bit more here they're still the best in the Big 12 at the advanced numbers looking at it from a points per drive perspective they're at uh, 3.19 that's 13th nationally uh they eat up on average over 56% of the available yards that's 18th nationally And they, for again, it's one of those things. Don't be allured by all the, 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 the big deep bombs to Tay Barber or, or, uh, I I keep wanting to say Josh Dotson. And I know he's been gone from TCU forever. Um, Quinton Johnston, they still run the ball, uh, With regularity, they actually run it better than uh, 51% of the time. And we saw in in the first meeting, obviously, with the 58 rush attempts, this is still a team that has a good running back, obviously, a first team all Big 12 selection in Kendra Miller. And Max Duggan's a guy, he's not going to beat you with his feet, but he can still scramble from time to time. He did hurt K State with his legs on a couple of plays. Uh, A couple of the other advanced numbers here uh, rushing and passing success rate, they're, they're, pretty well middle of the pack in those or a little bit higher I should say 49th in rush success 58th in pass success explosiveness and, and again this is where Garrett Riley's offense will really really get you is is on the explosives third nationally in that department 23rd in rush explosives fifth in pass explosives so if i'm looking at this from the clander the clandy man's perspective that's what i'm honestly trying to say we we you got to make them earn it this week. And that's honestly one of my first keys for the defense and and TCU did have a drive that one drive right before the end of the first half where they uh, went 10 plays, 91 yards. If they got to do that and and your defense lets up and gives up a TD TCU is going to score and there's just no way around that. They're going to score, but make them do that. Make them eat time. Give your offense time to come back and come back out with a, uh, Whatever, if they if Collins is going to script a couple of plays coming out on that next drive or whatever the case is, just make them earn it. You can't be giving up bombs. And honestly, I think that plays into what the offense wants to do. But the big thing I wanted to ask as far as the defense here, at least Nutter, what you've seen in recent weeks. First half and in particular, first quarter really hasn't been great for this group what do we need to see out of them here early stages? Because I, I don't think you're going to be afforded the same luxury of being able to, to give up 19 points or whatever they did to West Virginia in the first quarter and be able to come back and get this game.
1: Yeah. I mean, and really, even against KU, you know, the problems really kind of started with Texas, you know, giving up freaking 31 points in the first half. It's funny because you remember last year, the issue that they couldn't seem to get out of week over week was the third quarter offense just could not move the ball to save its life. And now this year it's the defense just can't get a stop in the first half. And if you want any shot of winning this one, I mean, you got to, I don't know if it's just a matter of they need to be better at making, you know, in-game adjustments, you know, like from the from the booth or whatever, because it's it's been night and day difference from the first to the second half in almost every game during that stretch. So, you know, I don't necessarily know what the problem is, but TCU's offense just has too many weapons and it's just too potent to – you know, allow for that lackluster start. You know, I know one thing Kleiman mentioned is K-State has the familiarity of having played in this building before, but like, there's some some concern about the fact that it's an 11 AM kick and K-State has been on prime time and abnormally high number of times this year, you know, like anything, you know, that's just another reason, you know, you got to make sure that you're focused and dialed in and really assignment sound. And like I said, if you're the coaches, you got to be ready to adjust on the fly because yeah, This is definitely not a game. It's, you know, likely going to be a a high scoring game anyway. And it's not one that you want to let yourself get down two, three scores early. You know, you don't want to have to try to make up that deficit.
0: A couple other quick numbers here on TCU frogs are uh, surprisingly one of the worst teams in the the conference in terms of red zone performance, You would not expect that from this offense. Uh, But again, I don't think Garrett Riley cares too much about that when they're hitting as many bombs as they are in the passing game. Uh, But TCU, 42 scores on 50 attempts. 34 of those scores are touchdowns. Uh, And again, as I said, that's actually eighth in the Big 12 in terms of percentages. And they're one of the uh, lowest teams in the conference in terms of just touchdowns in the red zone. A uh, couple other things, third and fourth down, uh, th- they they do go for it a lot on fourth down. They're actually uh, the leader in the Big 12 in terms of fourth down attempts this year at 16, but they've only converted uh, a little bit less than half of those 17. So and this is honestly a game, too, where I, I think, as strange as it may sound, I think that USC result might be something that lingers in the back of your mind and maybe makes you force the issue a little bit. So, uh, again, you got to come out and, and limit the explosives. That's key number one on defense. And, and then when you get these opportunities to get off the field, you got to take advantage. And the Wildcats did turn them away on a couple of fourth downs in that first meeting, and that was a- on the road. So the fact that you'll have a, a, what I would suspect would be a substantial amount of K-State fans in a neutral site game, be able to make some noise, make things a little bit difficult, and and certainly per- perhaps influence and get the players a little bit more rattled on the opposing side, I think that will obviously bode well for your catch. But you got to win those money, money downs in this game in particular, and you cannot let TCU get – 10 third down conversions like they did in that first meeting. So that's the book on, on the TCU offense. Like I said, I'm very excited to see the Klanderman Garrett Riley 2.0 matchup here. Uh, just because I felt like K-State's defense in that first half really did a, a pretty solid job against the Horn Frogs and keeping them to 17 points uh, through the first 30 minutes. And, and truth be told, if, if K-State did that this time around, I'd probably be pretty happy with it. So i I'm, I, I don't like to throw out scores in terms of what I expect for the first half production, but that, that would be a number to circle there. If you can keep TCU under the 20 point mark and keep them, uh, you know, again, limit those possessions in the red zone. I feel pretty good about things in terms of how this offense has been performing in the second half for Kansas state, where they've really just been able to grind teams down. And you got DJ Giddens. Who's, I, I got in start Nick. I feel like I have to nickname him Mariano Rivera. Cause he's just a closer. He's coming in on the, those last couple of drives. You got one 220 coming downhill at you. He's not the dude you want to see in the fourth quarter. And K-State getting an opportunity to play with a lead in this game would would be huge and I feel like an early, uh, fast, early start, just what, what's what been the recipe for this team here with Will Howard. They've been able to come and script really well out of the gate. And Colin Klein has been great, obviously, adjusting in-game as well in terms of, uh, of seeing what defenses are throwing at them. And still, Will Howard's been pinpointing guys and able to continue moving the ball down the field. O- offensively, what's been the big thing that's, that stood out to you, you, Nutter, just because we've seen these explosions really, again, not just against KU getting the 23 in the first quarter, but the week prior against West Virginia it was 28. K-State's one of the highest first quarter scoring teams in the country. What do, what do you attribute it to? What What is in the magic sauce for the Wildcats in that first 15 minutes?
1: You know, maybe it's just that, you know, these defenses still haven't adjusted to the fact that Will Howard is now suddenly a, a, an absolute howitzer back there. You know, I'm not I'm not really sure what it what it boils down to, why K-State's been able to just come out and just light up the scoreboard like they have. I'm certainly not complaining, though. It's been a lot of fun to watch. But uh it it's hard to say. And you know, what's interesting is you know, you think about coming into the year, you know, Deuce Vaughn was kind of the do-it-everything, you know, Swiss Army knife player that he was. And he's certainly still been doing that. But even like even last week, you know, he uh was pretty well bottled up in the first half take away that, that 80 yard screen. Um, so I think that makes it even not that much more surprising that, you know, like they were able to still, you know, still do what they did, even with, with Deuce being, uh, being limited for the most part, aside from one play. But, you know, that said, they had a, you know, effectively a free touchdown on the muff punt. And, you know, there was, you know, I, there was a pick six against West Virginia. So, you know, it's not, it hadn't necessarily all been on the offense, but at the same time, I mean, it's just definitely been more opportunistic than maybe we've been used to mean we've been used to seeing for, you know, quite a while.
0: Love whatever it is that Collins doing. He's, he's been cooking here these, these last couple of weeks and, and Will Howard's still, as I said, I know last week was honestly probably a step back for him compared to where he had, the level at which he had been performing—if you think about his his outing against West Virginia and the one the week prior against uh, Baylor—he he had really just been spinning it and and, and really doing a good job of uh, taking and connecting on those deep balls down the field and, and finding all to all the targets. I mean, whether it's been Ben Sennett, whether it's been Malik or Cade, he's just done a great job of finding those guys. And, and I, I think this is going to be yet another game where he's going to have to uh spread it around ben sennett didn't really have a huge impact in uh the first meeting and he was pretty quiet this past saturday as well um i i think he's going to be a a guy to watch in in this particular ball game uh just because uh, again sennett didn't have a catch against uh and i was trying to had to go back and check the box score here to think about like I'm almost positive. He did not have a, get his hands on a pass in that game. And and that did prove to be the case. So I I would expect Ben Senate to be a guy who makes some contributions here. And and I I really hope that Cade Warner, again, yet another guy who relatively clamped down uh, against KU. And we know he was also kind of dinged in that Baylor and the West Virginia game. But I think he, uh, is another guy we we need to look to this week as well in the passing game. I just, a, again, it's one of those things now where I, I feel like I can honestly point to anybody in this K-State wide receiver core and, and say, you know what? This person could step up this week because you have a quarterback now who's playing with the confidence to go out and get it done. And couple of things I'll, I'll note here on this matchup at least uh as as far as the numbers go we, we've talked about k-state scoring offense under will howard the, the production it's been putting up it's off the charts uh, scoring defense wise the horn frogs fourth in the big 12 giving up 24 and a half uh per game total defense there in the middle of the pack uh giving up an average of 383 yards Uh, per contest that's five and uh, an average of 5.4 per snap that's right in the middle of the pack as you as you might expect there as far as the yards per play go k-state not too far off there defensively giving up 5.23 passing and and k-state hits you with balance as we all know just with the way that this offense has really evolved here over the over recent weeks you you can't really key in on deuce the way that you used to and and he's a, a we talked about the storyline of him going up against Kendra Miller in this matchup. And another thing to keep in mind as well, how many carries do you think Deuce Vaughn had in that first meeting?
1: Against TCU? Um, well, he got hurt and was out for at least a little bit that game. I honestly couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even begin to put a number on it.
0: Twelve. And one of those was that big 47-yarder that he ripped off in that second quarter. Yeah, So that's that's a pretty light day for for Deuce Vaughn, who later would carry it. I, I believe it was 24 times against Baylor the next week and then 25 uh, times uh, against West Virginia. So he's used to that type of a workload. And, and the fact that, and, and again, it's just all, all this just really flies in the face of what K-State normally tries to do in getting the ground game going. Cause it's been such a huge focus for this offense, but uh, I'm interested to see what kind of impetus Colin puts on, on giving the ball to him in this matchup if this is a hey we came out and we felt like we had a chance to hit explosives in the past game against this TCU squad and we're going to try and do that again I don't know if that's that's the MO this week or if they're going to be a little bit more methodical uh, and Nutter I'm just curious what's your read on in terms of how this game the tempo and, and, and the pace that needs to play out what what do you feel more suits K-State and ultimately results in a wildcat victory.
1: You know, it's it's like I'm so conditioned from all the years of Bill Snyder football. And frankly, even the first few years of Chris Kleiman football to think that, you know, you want to slow it down and, you know, really kind of dictate the tempo that way. But frankly, I, the way the offense has been playing, I'm not as worried about getting in a shootout as I normally would be. And I think that's just how it's going to go. I think K-State's offense is operating at a really high level right now and TCU's offense has been operating at a really high level pretty much all year. So I think that's how it's going to go. And if it does, I don't think that necessarily plays against K-State the way it has in the past. So, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, uh, two or three stops could be the difference in this one because this, I mean, has all the makings of a, you know, first to 40 is going to win kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, if you can get a couple of stops here or there, I think that's going to go a long way in deciding the outcome, but I don't think it's one where you have to, you know, really grind down the tempo and hold them under, you know, 21 points or anything like that.
0: And honestly, I I looked at this, and I I was like you when I was trying to think, like, what's what's the scenario? How does this game need to play out if K-State wants to win? And honestly, my key for the offense here, bring more dynamite, because this just knowing – TCU's penchant for hitting deep plays and, and knowing that while well, I thought VJ Payne played a great game against KU. And I know, it, but in the same breath, he's still learning and it's a little bit different animal, you know, doing that at home uh, against a rival when the crowds behind you and everything else. And that's one thing, but doing it on this type of a stage and and not wanting to, you know, to, Miss an assignment or not be true to your keys, whatever the case might be. There's gonna be a little bit of added pressure for for a true freshman here. so i'm I'm a, li- a little bit nervous about this game getting pointsy. But in the same breath, just the way that it played out the first time around, I, I feel like k state can do what you just alluded to is that if this game goes forty five to thirty eight, I think the Wildcats would have a shot to do that one. And frankly, in, in terms of how K-State and Colin and company elect to attack it, TCU is still one of the worst teams in the country in passing explosives allowed. They're 123rd nationally in that number. Um, and I've, I've never shouted him out, but it's pretty obvious. I, I get all these numbers from KSU underscore fan. Follow him on Twitter. If you haven't already, he's the best. Uh, but that's honestly where I feel like this team's going to have its its best shot is is playing that game, taking those shots down the field, getting as many guys involved as you possibly can. And it's so wild to me that this TCU secondary isn't as buttoned up because it has two of the better defensive backs in the conference. Uh, Trevious Hodges, Tomlinson, first team all big 12, and uh, also um, Josh Newton. Both of those guys have 10 pass breakups to their name. They're two, two of the top Havoc players in the conference, but, The rest of the secondary, uh, a little bit leaky. And and that's honestly where I feel like Colin and company are going to look this week in terms of how they attempt to exploit this TCU defense. Uh, A couple of the other advanced numbers, just to to briefly hit on those uh, K State and TCU, in terms of points per drive, they're pretty much neck and neck here. 1.84 for the Cats, 1.94 for the Frogs. They're 28th and uh, 39th nationally. Uh, One thing K-State does excel at comparatively, uh, points per drive inside the 40, K-State limits opponents to just 3.26 there. TCU 4.13. That's 101st nationally compared to K-State's 22nd in that department. And then also looking at success rate, they're both pretty well even there. 32nd 32nd and 33rd on that front passing success rate K-State with a or TCU rather with a slight edge in that department rushing success rate K-State with a slight edge there so uh, defensively we've got two pretty comparable units and honestly the total in this game uh, which is currently set at 61 and a half I'm saying hit the over on that I I feel like we're looking at a game that's easily going to be in, uh in the mid thirties, I don't know what your read is on it, Nutter, but I, in my head this whole week, I've had 45 to 38. I, I cannot get that score out of my mind.
1: <laughs> I typically do not bet on K state games. Don't know why. I just feel like it's bad juju, but yes, if I, if I were betting on this, I would be hammering the over.
0: It, it And this is honestly, as we start to wind this down, I, I really do feel like this has the makings of kind of a, a classic type matchup. Uh, just with, uh, again, you have Max Duggan, who is a finalist for the Maxwell Award, and he's, it, I, I don't know if he is going to be a Heisman finalist or not. he He's had a, a tremendous season. I mentioned it a, a little bit earlier on in the show uh, with the 29 touchdowns to just three interceptions, obviously does a, a superb job of taking care of the ball and, and directing this TCU offense, and then you have Will Howard, who has just, all of his numbers. If you, if you looked at what he did as freshman and sophomore year, you would not believe if you looked at that third row in the spreadsheet, you would just be like, nah, man, (laughs) that's wrong. (laughs) But he has just been, uh, again, a breath of fresh air for this K state offense. And um, as, real quickly here i'll just touch on the specials before we start to wind this thing down but um griffin kell uh uh, for tcu still one of the the most accurate kickers in the big 12 um and quick check of the notes here i totally drawing a blank on whether or not yes he was first team or excuse me he was second team uh no damn it first team i'm (laughs) <laughs> Losing my mind here. Uh I would I would say I'll edit that out, but I gotta I gotta be honest here. Uh but yeah, Griffin Kell was first team ball big twelve. And then you have Ty Zetner who knock on wood has still not missed a kick since being inserted as K State starting place kicker. So I feel like we've got a pretty even battle as far as that goes. But uh, again, this this game very much like the the West Virginia game a couple of weeks ago, this does not strike me as a hey. If we're, at, if we're looking at fourth and four from the opponent's 23-yard line, this doesn't strike me as a field goal kind of game. I think this is a game where both offenses are going to say, we're, we're going to push the issue, we're going to go for touchdowns. And, and honestly, that's kind of K-State's MO. If, you, if they get you to fourth down, it's the best fourth down defense in the conference. They have not allowed uh, many conversions on that front, only 10 on the season uh, against opponents, 41 attempts. So... There you go. And uh, we talked about TCU likes to go for it, but they aren't necessarily the best at converting it. So that'll be an interesting wrinkle to watch in this one. I, I, again, I, I don't think specials are going to have a monstrous impact unless K state pops off a return in this game, but I, uh, uh, to to take it back to that macro point I, I brought up a few moments ago, I, I really do feel like this it game it is the type of game that has the makings of a, of just a classic matchup. It's the first game out of the shoot on Saturday morning. You've got ABC is going to be rolling in. You've got the the A team with Chris Fowler, uh, Kirk Herbstreit, and Holly Rowe uh, as your sideline reporter, and you got College Game Day that's going to be on set. That this is. This is a stage K-State hasn't been in for quite a while. Uh, do you are do you have any concern over that front? I feel like this team has has pretty well delivered in this spot, but this is a little bit different animal.
1: No, I don't. I mean, they've played on, you know, they've played under the lights, they've played on national television several times this year, and more often than not, they've risen to the occasion. I don't think that adds anything in terms of any pressure. not for K State anyway. Now, again, on the flip side, TCU has a lot more to lose here. So um, But again, the fact that, you know, I know I keep I keep harping on it. The fact that ultimately, aside from a trophy, which would be great and a little bit higher ranking, you know, when we play our bowl game, not not a ton on the line here for K-State. So, no, I don't really see that as a as any added pressure.
0: It's so bizarre for this game to have no stakes as far as bowl pecking order goes. And we as K-State fans know all too well um, what happens if you lose a conference championship game. Now, granted, that was uh, some people think 1998 was uh, ancient history. And I I can still very vividly remember um, what happened in terms of the bowl selections after that game. Uh, A lot of uh, four-letter words that my father came up with and a lot of new cusses I have not heard before came uh, that were uh, that came to... (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just remembering a lot of things from my childhood now, and it's making me laugh. But uh, but yeah, that was Jeff
1: Burkhart's vocabulary expanded quite (laughs) a bit that night.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, don't repeat any of this. No. um, (laughs) Yeah, it was a it was an unfortunate predicament there for Kansas State, obviously being knocked down to fourth in the BCS and getting passed over by. A BCS Bowl being passed over by the Cotton Bowl being passed over by the Holiday Bowl and ultimately the Alamo, which now is in much higher pecking order for the Big 12. Um, It was not perceived as a very prestigious bowl back uh, in those times, but um, it's not to deviate too far away from the point here, but it's just bizarre to me that this game does not have any stake in terms of where k-state goals goes bowl wise but I, I will say i'll put i'll put the question out there what what does the season then translate to in your eyes it, with with a trophy in this game versus no trophy in this game
1: i mean yeah the fact of the matter is you're looking at double digit wins for the first time in over a decade and a conference championship for the third to, or excuse me a big 12 championship for the third time ever you know I don't know that you can necessarily say it's maybe the most talented team or one of the most talented team K State's ever had, but in terms of you know wins and hardware, you got to say it's it's up there, probably in the top five. That's without you know the opportunity and like that's without you know lining up against a premier SEC opponent in the Sugar Bowl as well. So I mean you know you're yeah I mean if you if you get this job done in Arlington, you're you're definitely talking one of the best seasons K State's ever had. Bowl bowl result notwithstanding.
0: <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And with that being said, let's go ahead and wind this one down. Move to our uh, predictions here. First, we'll go picks to pop uh, one player from the offensive side, one from the defensive side. Nutter, you go ahead and get it rolling.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go actually with the entire offensive line, which had a pretty forgettable first half against KU. Like I said, the running game really didn't get going until the second half, which is funny because I believe K-State threw all of four passes in the second half and completed none of them. And, you know, once the offensive line adjusted and maybe got a little angry, they went out there and really dominated this, you know, the second half of football. So I'm hoping they can carry that momentum in because this is a game where you really can't afford to have too many drives stalled. Because like I said, I think there's going to be a lot of points scored and, you know, you don't want to be leaving points on the field and you don't want to be killing yourself by, you know, not opening running lanes for dues. Um, and then on defense, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Josh Hayes. You know, I, I I kind of expected with with Mason and Savage both being out, I expected KU to try to take the top off the defense. You know, I expected some deep shots that just never really materialized. Um, I think uh, TCU absolutely has the weapons to try to exploit that. You know, I think our safeties played pretty damn well, all things considered. Um, you know, against KU, you know there was definitely some breakdowns the week before in West Virginia. Um, But, you know, to get out of there, you know, able to learn from those mistakes without having to take a loss because of it, that was obviously pretty big. So I'm going to go with Hayes to kind of lead that, you know, lead that safety room again, because, uh, you know, this is definitely a a receiving core, like you've mentioned, that can burn you if you're not ready for it.
0: Absolutely. And I certainly hope that that won't be the case too often. Again, trying to limit those explosives, a big key for that K-State defense. Uh, As far as uh, the defensive player, I'm going with here this week. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to put the onus on Daniel Green. I feel like there's, there's going to be a little bit of extra motivation for him knowing that he got knocked out in that first matchup. And honestly, I would not expect, uh, would not be surprised rather to see a, a stellar showing from all of the K-State linebackers. I feel like they, they know that TCU kind of wore them down and ran over them in the late stages of that game. And that's, that's definitely a pride item that you you, you certainly take with you and remember, and you're going to do everything in your power to limit that. And it's going to be a tall order going against one of the best running backs in the big 12. We all know uh, Kendra Miller, as I said, got the nod at the, on the first team and, and he's, he's been a bear this season with the 1260 yards averaging a big 12 best six or excuse me, second uh, best in the big 12 at 6.3 per carry. He's going to be tough, but I, I I imagine that the linebackers are going to be up to the task and slowing him down. And I'm saying Daniel green's going to be the catalyst there. Offensively. Uh, I think if this is a game that results in a wildcat victory, it, this is the will Howard show. No doubt about it. This is a game. This is a coming out game where you throw for 350 yards four touchdowns and again uh to what i'll talk about here momentarily with my prediction it's going to be a game where you're going to have to put up north of 40 points and if will howard is able to to engineer six or so scoring drives in this one i feel i'll feel pretty good about the wildcats chances in this contest so with that being said let's go ahead and wrap this one up final thing on the docket here score projections nutter what are you feeling
1: yeah, I've said it probably 5 6 times. Um I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. Um one thing we haven't really talked about yet, K-State has really had a penchant for, you know, forcing the turnover this year. Uh after forcing a couple against KU, they are now plus 14 turnover margin. That is tied for second in the country. Um you know, I think one or two turnovers could go a long long way. Uh that said, you know, I think like I said both offenses are operating at a really high level right now, but I do think K-State's defense is probably a little bit better equipped to get one or two key stops, whether that be, you know, forcing a punt or, you know, like I said, you know, forcing an offense to, to, to cough it up. So I am going to actually give K-State the edge in this one,
0: 38-34. Love it. Love it. I, um I've waffled back and forth on this one. um And I, I feel like this is one of those things where I remember so often hearing uh, as a kid from my parents and everybody in between, it's tough, it's tough to beat a team twice. Well, you know, this is my time now, 35, you know, 20 some odd years later hearing that as you know, a 10, 12 year old kid. Now I get to actually enjoy this. I, I feel like the Wildcats are going to get the rematch here and take this one. And I said my score a little bit earlier. I'm going to say K state 45 TCU 38. I I feel like the Wildcats are going to put up plenty of points in this one. I feel like the offense is continuing to cook. And I feel like Will Howard has really come into his own here these last couple of weeks. So I'm feeling good about it from the Wildcats perspective. Again, we've, we've talked about it at length. This is very much a nothing to lose proposition for K state, go out and play free and loose. And TCU is really the team with all the pressure on it. And it has so much to lose if it does drop this game. And I feel like that'll also be a a variable that weighs in the the minds of TCU players and coaches alike here. So that is my call here, guys. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to us. It's been a, a blast doing this show that throughout the course of the season. And we certainly appreciate all the downloads and the streams on whatever your preferred app is. Subscribe to our podcast on that preferred app if you haven't done so already. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. With all that being said, I'm gonna go ahead and close it out the way I always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. Let's go get a championship. <laughs>